Welcome to the High Reliability Podcast, presented by Goslin Martin Associates. The High Reliability Podcast is focused solely on the healthcare facility management profession. As always, I thank you for listening. I'm your host, Peter Martin, president of Goslin Martin Associates. Just a quick ad before we get into the uh, today's topic. We released a new job opportunity last night, uh, director out in San Francisco at the San Francisco Campus for Jewish Living. So if you're interested, take a look at that. We are actually recording this on a beautiful September morning. It's uh, September 10th, Friday, September 10th with the weekend ahead. So we get the opportunity out in San Francisco. We have a director role in Stamford, Connecticut at Stamford Health, in Dover, Delaware for Bay Health, in Boston at Brigham and Women's, and down in Randallstown, Maryland, Northwest Hospital. So anyways, if you're interested in either of those or any of those, give me a call, send me an email. Contact info is on the Goslin Associates website. Today, we welcome Brandon Bardowski to the High Reliability Podcast. Brandon is the Vice President of Facilities Design and Construction at Inspira Health, headquartered in Vineland, New Jersey. Inspira Health is a four-hospital system with 150-plus access points in South Jersey. As VP of Facilities Design and Construction, Brandon's responsibilities include management of facilities and their network design and construction program. His management oversight includes a $525 million program to grow the network's market presence in South Jersey, and also construction of a $425 million hospital and MOB in Mullica Hill, which was completed in January 2020. January 2020 seems like an eternity ago. Brandon started his career as a project manager, and then he became program manager, moving out to Missouri for Cox Health. He joined CBRE in Florida as a senior consultant, serving as owner's representative for Tradition Medical Center. That was a 207,000 square foot, 90 bed healthcare facility. It was part of the Martin Health System, no relation, in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Brandon transitioned to the owner side. He became the director of facilities for the Martin Health System, so he moved from the consulting to the owner side. And then in 2016, Brandon came north to New Jersey, where he joined Inspira Health. I always called it Inspira. Wait, Inspira Health. Brandon, uh, Brandon tutored me before, and I, th- I think I failed. Uh, but anyways, Brandon took on his current role in 2016 <laughs> as the VP. Hopefully, he doesn't grade me uh, grade me down. Brandon has his BS in civil engineering. He's got a concentration in construction management with his BS, and he also has his MBA. Brandon has his CHFM, and he has his CHE in the state of Florida. He joins us today to focus on healthcare real estate. He's got a great deal of experience and passion for healthcare real estate. He becomes our first high reliability guest to discuss real estate. It was a topic area that we hadn't delved into and so I'm really happy that Brandon uh, agreed to come on. Brandon, welcome. Brandon? Hey, Peter. I'm sorry I lost you here for a second. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's great to be here. I, I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak with you and, and uh, enjoy listening to your podcast series. And, and uh, you know, thank you for, for having me on to be part of part of your your uh, continuation of the high reliability series. Thank you. My pleasure. And I, I said to Brandon, uh, one of his locations uh, is Mullica Hill. And I think that's where a tornado touched down a couple of weeks ago, uh, which was a big one for 
the Northeast area. Is that true, Brandon? Wasn't in Mullica Hill? And did you guys suffer any any damage? Any uh, any incidents with the tornado? Yeah, interestingly enough, it was uh, it was a pretty significant event. I mean, it was something that I, I I wasn't really you know initially planning on having you know become a big deal. But yeah, I mean, it, it tore through twenty good twenty twenty five houses. Uh, it was an F three when it when it touched down, and uh, we actually had some some people take videos outside of our hospital in Mullica Hill. And uh, um, you know, luckily for for us, we we didn't sustain any major uh, catastrophic damage to, to any of our facilities, but. Uh, certainly there were, there were homes, you know, many homes impacted people, um, you know, great, great community, you know, coming together event to help, you know, people, you know, you know unblock their driveways and uh, entrances into their neighborhoods, a lot of, lot of tons of downed trees, um, but very significant event for something, you know, up here in the Northeast. Uh, and, and it was uh, a little, little scary to say the least. So uh, thank yeah. you for asking. You know, it's funny. Everything's instantaneous these days with Twitter. And I saw some of the video and I was like, that looks like a Midwest tornado, not a Northeast tornado. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, so it was uh, definitely, definitely was a surprise for me coming, you know, coming out of Florida, you know, <laughs> not, not ha- having ever seen, you know, a, a tornado uh, in the Northeast or expecting, you know, to, to ever see one. Right. No, I agree. I agree. We don't get them often up here. But anyways... This is not a weather podcast, though I do enjoy weather and a meteorology podcast might not be a bad idea at some point, but not today. <laughs> Here we're talking about real estate and real estate is a really broad term and responsibilities differ by organization. And that's part of the reason that I want to have Brandon on in, in and talk to, because I know, you know, when I was with the f- company I worked for, real estate meant different things for different people. Broadly, it was a building, but then what did the building entail? So anyways, I want to ask Brandon, just to kick it off, it's a broad term, responsibilities differ. What does a VP of real estate do, Brandon? And what does your role as it relates to the real estate component entail? Sure. No, it's, you know, I'm happy to happy to dive into it. I mean, it, it obviously is a very broad based topic. Um, there's, there's, you know, different size organizations. And for us, you know, we're, we're a, a mid-sized community-based health system. So, um, you know, from, you know, real estate standpoint, there's obviously, you know, lease administration, which is, I would say the primary component of making sure that um, our, our lease database stays current with, with physicians and, you know, and that we're in compliance with Stark laws. So, you know, that's not something, you know, I certainly do by myself. We have a, we have a broker uh, that helps us um, with all of our transactional, um, Real estate, uh, you know, uh, transactional real estate, and then and then also you know, manages the lease administration, and then, you know, as as you just kind of you know pick apart the layers of of the onion, you know, as they say, I mean, you know, there's there's obviously you know the the responsibility of finding buildings and and providing due diligence for for buildings that you know we're we're looking for, um, you know, that could entail parking studies and planning and zoning analysis and asbestos surveys and um, you know, getting into the programming of, of, uh, you know, the pro- programming aspects and that's where your, you know, design and construction hat, you know, kind of, kind of get started. But, um, you know, and then a lot of times really spent, you know, on negotiating sales and, and getting into development deals with, uh, developers, uh, you know, and REITs and, and, and any potential developer landlord, um, you know, is, is, is a, uh, negotiation process. And that negotiation takes a lot of time and it takes, uh, uh, effort and it takes uh, you know attorneys and, and land use attorneys and and brokers to help you know navigate the you know navigate that you know obviously the issues that come come aboard there and, and getting through contracts uh, and the complex and the, and the contracts are complex 
Um, so it does take, you know, it, it does take a team of experts to really um, to, to navigate that process correctly, um, which I certainly appreciate having, you know, been here for five years and it being really a new, you know, a new, a new subject for me. Um, and then there's, you know, any of the, any of the issues that come up in the, in the, you know, in the townships or the, you know, municipal areas that you're buying in, you know, there's local politics and there's, uh, you know, certainly, you know, um, things like that you have to deal with. Um, and then, you know, there's different aspects of real estate. There's, you know, there's buildings, there's, you know, New Jersey solar projects are a big deal. I mean, you could get into complex license agreements on, on your property to, uh, in healthcare to, you know, have, uh, you know, allow a developer to come on and, and build a large solar array, which, which we've done. And, uh, mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge, uh, you know, broad based, you know, topic as you, as you, as you mentioned. And I think depending on the size of the healthcare network, the roles, you know, for someone in my position could be, um, very granular to something that is very high level with a team of healthcare professionals working underneath you. How much, and it sounds like, you know, your time in its entirety could be focused on the real estate component because there are so many sure. different areas. With your facilities um, accountability, with your design and construction accountability and the real estate accountability, what is your time? How do you allocate your time? I'd imagine you've got to be a really good time manager. And where do you find yourself from the bigger picture spending your time? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, on the real estate component of my job, I would, I would say I probably spend I would say probably 15% of my, my job. I mean, my, my, my role is, is fairly large operationally. And, and again, you can, it's not something you do by yourself. So you right. know, I spend time with my broker. I spend time with my general counsel and, and our other attorneys that uh, associate um, attorneys that work for us. Um, and then our outside land use attorneys. So, I mean, the heavy lifting, you know, I, and I've learned, you know, <laughs> that you can't do it yourself and, and you have right. to allow people to do the heavy lifting and then, and then you check in, right, and see, okay, well, where are we at on, you know, negotiating the this agreement of sale, or where are we at, um, you know, negotiating with this developer on on a letter, you know, letter of intent to, you know, get something under contract. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's a lot more time spent, you know, being counseled by mm-hmm. my broker and by our general counsel to help make um, appropriate decisions, you know, for next steps because ultimately they don't make the decisions for us. Um, you know, they, they advise and counsel and then, you know, I'll spend time with my, my COO or my CEO. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, what makes sense and, um, and you know, what, you know, what the appropriate next steps are for, for any deal. And, and hopefully, you know, you're not negotiating 10 deals at one time, right? Because there's a volume, there's just a time associated with the volume of things that you're dealing with. So, um, I I like to think that it, you know, like everything in life, it, it always works out and you find your way, you know, through it. (laughs) <laughs> with the time that you need to spend, you know what I mean? And sometimes it takes a lot of time some weeks and then, you know, other weeks it takes a lot less. So it's just, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned the time management aspects of it or, or just something that, uh, uh, are, are just, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an ebb and a flow. Do you, um, I recall, you know, I'm just thinking back to when I was working in healthcare relative to the real estate component, you know, sometimes you'd have business developers in the organization making deals, that you're not part of, and then they come back at you, and now you're accountable for, you know, just right. say, you know, turning a, a CVS into a or a, or a healthcare center that has a pool into a outpatient clinic, and you got to do it in two months or three months or sometimes even sooner. How do you um, 
do you stay in touch with your business development people? How do you keep, you know, you talked about having 10 deals at one time. Do you have a process to help control that? Because, you know, business developers can get out there on their own and then you're stuck yeah. with it. How do you deal with that component? Yeah. No, and that's a great, it's a great question, actually, because it is, it's a challenge. I mean, you have people, you know, in, in my organization, we have, um, you know, four or five people that are, you know, beating the business development drum. So, and those conversations, um, you know, range from, you know, as you imagine, you know, as you, as you uh, mentioned, bank conversions for, mm. you know, three to 5,000 square foot, you know, ob practice to a 50,000 square foot retail storefront where, we want to build a big multi-specialty, you know, outpatient center. And, and two of those things we're doing right now. So, you know, I, I tend to try and focus my time on the larger ventures that require a little bit more, you know, due diligence and planning and support. And, you know, on the smaller, you know, initiatives, we have a great broker that um, I, I certainly lean on that is able to, uh, you know, feel his way through it. And then we, we lean on our design partners to, you know, to really come in and help us do some space planning so we can figure out, you know, what, how useful the, the asset is for us to build out. So, you know, it's different, it's different, um, it's different people in different moods looking at different things. And it, it's a function of just managing all the work streams at the same time. And I, I, <laughs> yeah. I like to think that, yeah, no, and it's fun, right? So yeah. I, I like to think that if you have a good team and people trust you and you trust them, then they check in when they need to. And, you know, it becomes more of an advisor role to say, hey, yeah, you need this guy, right? You need this architect here. Let's use this architect over there because they have more experience in, in you know, these types of facilities or, um, you know, you know, what have you, right? And then, and, then, and then we take them through that process, through the performer development, and they'll check back in and they'll, they'll ask for, for budgets on medical equipment and for FF&E. And, you know, we do, we've done so many of these projects that we have, um, you know, we have a good database of, of information on it, right? So I, I can tell you that if we build an urgent care, it's $165 a square foot, right? We've <laughs> built we've built a dozen of them, right? We've built, yep. um, you know, at least 10 to 15 primary care centers. You know, we've built at least a half a dozen outpatient radiology centers. So, you know, there's muscle memory in, in doing that type of work and, and picking the same radiology modalities and going through the process of, um, you know, making sure that the power, you know, associated with the building is, you know, I can tell you I need an 800 amp service for, you know, if we put an MRI, a 3T MRI in, right? And so, you know, some of it comes from experience in, 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 um, in doing the work and it gets easier over time because you're doing the same thing again and again. It's almost like building a McDonald's, you know? So yep. um, I've been fortunate that we've, we've done so much because it's allowed me the experience to really properly advise our internal teams. And, you know, when you have a business development core team, that works that we work very closely with, and I'm very integrated with our business development team. That's good. Um, it get, it ex, it expands. It gives us more bandwidth in order in, to be able to assess deals. Because honestly, you know, you assess ten deals and six of them, you know, you might you might only execute on sixty percent. Um, so four of the deals fall through. So it does, you know. And then you got a project management team and things, but you you have to be very tightly integrated with the business development team, and, and there has to be a lot of trust, and and you have to be able to give up control. <laughs> And I think that's a hard thing to do sometimes because you want to be able to control the the process, right? And sometimes can, it's best not to, but go yeah. ahead, I'm sorry. You know, no, that's real. I'm glad you brought up control. Can you give an example of when you, you know, you said, you know what, I got to give up control on this portion or can you give us an example of, of, imp of implementing giving up control? 
Yeah, I could give you I could give you multiple examples. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can't do all the work yourself. It's not possible, right? I don't have I have a you know a handful of project managers and an FF&E coordinator, um, and we, and really those people are concentrated on the execution of the deals. So the front end work really is is really heavily involved and really being led by uh, business development people, and they you know they need to be able to do their job and they want to do the job, right? So we have to be good partners, but. Um, you know, we're in the middle of doing, uh, you know, I'll use uh, a campus. You know, we were winding down a campus after we moved to hospital and uh, our head of business development. It was a, it was a legacy kind of a legacy project um, for her. And, and, it, and it was something that she, you know, was was heavily into negotiating. And, uh, you know, you just, you know, we just have to be comfortable and have to be you know mindful of of, you know, where where our limits of authority begin and end. And then, and then we have to know when to check in with each other, you know, as a subject matter expert and go back to the real estate attorney, general counsel, or come back to myself or come back to our real estate or, or, or broker and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that we need, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting asked to negotiate these 10 things. Um, but it's not always easy, right? Cause, cause mm-hmm. as human beings, we want to control outcomes and, and we, we feel like we have to be out front, uh, really making decisions in order to do that. But, you know, in fact, if you beget, you become comfortable with um, working with those people collaboratively, I mean, that's really what it takes inside healthcare because, you know, the people that try and control everything, you know, I, I, I just don't believe that's a model for success. And it's right. not something that I've ever tried to employ. Yeah. Because it doesn't work long term. It doesn't work long term, especially in the, in, in, in the, in the state of healthcare that we're in today. I mean, it's, it's much more complex. There's much more to do. It's much more, um, you know, matrix driven as, as organizations continue to merge and acquire others. And, you know, you have to be, um, you have to be able to, you know, be agile and, and, yeah. and be collaborative. Uh, so I don't, I'm not sure how else to say that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, that's pretty I succinct. did my best. <laughs> yeah, well, that's to the point and correct. You mentioned two things I want to just follow up on. Uh, one is data. And one is team. And you mentioned kind of your team composition. Obviously, you have your consultants who are working on your team. Internal, you mentioned project managers. You mentioned your FF&E coordinator. Do you have internal team members who work on real estate? Or do your internal team people like you go from design, construction into real estate? Are they in a number of different areas and not just focusing on the real estate component? So in my organization specifically, I don't. I don't have anyone that focuses solely on real estate transactions other than a broker, our broker that we have. Um, and he's really, an, he, he's kind of an outside partner um, that we use, that we have on retainer. Um, but it's more, it's more myself and my general counsel that really run point on hmm. the front end uh, transactional side of the real estate, because, you know, it, there's just, we just don't have any, anyone else that are experts in it. Um, and the deals are complex and, and, you know, if we had a dedicated real estate person, certainly I would have that person, you know, manage that side of the, of the business. Um, but, but I just don't, right. And there's yeah. organizations that, that do, and I'm jealous, you know, that, right. that they have dedicated, you know, there's, there's organizations that have dedicated VPs of real estate, um, which is a great thing, but, you know, ultimately it's really myself and in, in our, in our attorneys that, um, that kind of, I would say bear the brunt of, you know, most of the transactional, <laughs> negotiations. Nice way to put it. How much, um, how much legalese do you need to be familiar with in this role? Um, cause I know legal 
and finance, both those things can be intimidating to folks. I mean, you didn't get into facilities management kind of with that law background to it, but how much legalese do you need to be familiar with and, and how do you go about conquering that learning curve? Yeah. And that's a, you know, it's an interesting question. It's a, it's a neat question. Um, well, I mean, in, in the, the financial piece certainly is the thing that I was least comfortable with coming in. And it's, it's the reason I went back to college and got my MBA, um, huh. you know, developing performance and understanding how to pick apart, you know, uh, deals financially is, is an art when it comes to real estate. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's not simple, you know, um, cap rates and, you know, understanding how developers make money and what the profit vehicles are in developer deals and, and picking that stuff apart in a dollar per square foot basis. And, um, I mean, there's a lot to it. I mean, you know, leases, you know, the developer deals are very complex and, and developers make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> and so much money, it, it, it intrigued me enough to really understand, you mm. know, you know, if my CEO is looking at me saying, Hey, is this a good deal? I mean, I, I have to be able to explain that. Right. And if I yep. can't explain that, I mean, it's not, it's not something that's comfortable. Um, so it, it does take a lot of, um, time to study the deals and pick them apart and really, you know, most of the work that um, it takes is just sit time behind a desk. I mean, work, you know, and then talking with my broker because your broker is the guy that always knows how the deals are put together and where the profit vehicles are. Um, so, you know, you know, and I would just say that, and it just comes with time and experience. I mean, you know, there's people that go to school and get real estate, you know, uh, you know, masters in real estate, and there's people who get masters in business. But, you know, the school of hard knocks and you know, seeing a deal get done incorrectly and getting burned once is really the best way to, you know, to learn. And unfortunately I think it just happens to everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned before, sometimes, you know, those deals get done outside of my purview. Right. And, and that happens, you know, all across the United States every day. I mean, yes, it does. every, every CEO has, has a friend that's a developer, right. And they come in and <laughs> funny how that happens, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, or some board member or, you know, it's just the way, it's just the way business is done. So, yep. Um, you know, when you see those deals and I'm like, wow, you know, here's a deal and, and it's X dollars a square foot. And I wonder why, you know, why it is. And we start picking it apart, then you understand. And, um, so, I mean, so from a financial standpoint, I would say that was the, um, probably the most eye opening thing for me is just picking apart the deals and working my broker to understand. Um, and then on a legal side, I mean, I would say the, the best, um, the best legal experience I've, I've, I've really come across in my career was probably in studying um, AIA contracts and <laughs> seeing basic, basic uh, language again and again on, um, you know, hold harmless agreements and things that are in there that, you know, um, that, you know, I, I, I would say design and constru- well, construction contracts, you know, aren't, you know, the same as real estate contracts, but there's a lot of similarities in terms of, the way uh, they're structured and the language and the way things are read and the way the language is read. And then, and then there's, again, there's just muscle memory and seeing contracts, agreement of sales done one, two, three, four, and five times and, you know, limitations of liability and then seeing, you know, um, you know, cause, cause at the end of the day uh, it's just a transference of risk back and forth. And that's the way I see it. So when I'm working with my general counsel, you know, we'll go through a deal and we'll say, okay, we have these 10 things that we have to negotiate and, and it's a give and take, um, you know, but really, uh, you know, really working with your, your general counsel and with your land use attorneys and quite honestly, I mean, land use, land use laws is an art in itself. I mean, and without a good land use attorney, I mean, I don't know how people negotiate, um, developer deals. I mean, cause 
land use laws is extremely complex and it takes time to pick apart deals and to properly construct them. Um, yeah. Can, can you, you know, I was going to follow up with you on that. You know, you talked about your AIA contracts, you know, you, the deals you signed with your CMs, with your architects. And I was going to ask, what are some of the different deals that fall outside of that when you're dealing with real estate? And you just mentioned land use. Can you give an example of a land use or, or tell us what, what does that mean? Or what is that? So, yeah, yeah. In terms of land use, um, you know, land use turning when we need them, um, you know, so we're buying a piece of ground in a, in a, in a big box retail store, say right now. Um, and you know, the land use attorney, uh, and really there's three people, there's the broker, the, the broker, you know, your real estate broker, your land use attorney, and then, and then a civil engineer. And I look at it as a civil engineer for me mm. as a real estate, as a, as a, as a design and construction professional, you know, my civil engineer is my attorney and that's the way I see it. Right. So <laughs> yeah. you got it. You got to Yeah. Right. So, yep. so you got to study, you know, you got to study all the elements of the, of the, of the, of the ground and deal first, right. You got to understand the zoning mm-hmm. side of, and, and, and that's my job. I, I need to understand the planning and zoning criteria. What are the local ordinances? What are they going to allow us to do? You know, how, you know, am I going to be able to build out the things that I need, you know, in the, in the square footage. And, and once you know, you know, do I have the required parking? Is it, a, is it in a densely, uh, densely packed, you know, area where parking is going to be an issue. So let me understand how that's going to work. Um, do I need variances? Um, am I going to go in with a buy right application? Are there, is there an existing operating agreement and, and shared parking arrangement that, that, you know, uh, where there could be deed restricted parking between multiple uses on a, on a, on a site. Uh, and really it's just picking apart, um, those things. Uh, and then, and then sometimes you need a traffic engineer, right? So, yeah. You know, it's it's all those components that that really kind of go together, you know, that really um, make up the that make up the transaction itself. And you have to spend the time and the money on the design professionals to make sure you're not going to back yourself into a deal that you know may or may not you know particularly work. And and so the land use component really is all of those things. It's not just the attorney, you know, saying, yeah, well, we should take this or do that or you know you know, give them this much signage space or, you know, it, it's, it's the traffic engineer, it's the civil engineer, it's understanding your zoning, you know, your bulk, uh, your, your zoning criteria for the ordinance. It's knowing what you might need to ask for in terms of, of variances and what you need to negotiate with a local township or with a municipality that um, uh, may or may not want, may or may not want that use there. So sometimes there's politics around it, but um, in order to properly advise, you know, CEO that I'm going to go spend, you know, say eight or $10 million on a piece of ground, you know, if I don't understand those things, I can't represent that I could possibly build them something and that and make it successful or, or have a high degree of confidence to that. Because at the end of the day, that's what I have to be able to do. I have to be able to sit in front of a board, my CEO and say, yes, I believe we can do this. This is money well spent. And here's why. Um, and without my design professionals and a traffic engineer and a civil engineer, you know, and land use attorney, you know, um, and understanding the lane use aspects of that transaction. Uh, we, you know, you don't know what you can or you can't do. Yeah. Yeah. How important is the, um, political side of the equation in your role? And I'm not talking politics that we see in DC on a daily basis, but you being politically astute and being able to deal with all those various constituencies. Cause I mean, you got a lot of audiences there. And as we know, your communication has to differ with your audience. 
how big of a component is political savviness and and saying the right thing and knowing you know sometimes when to lay the bait and when not to lay the bait can you talk about that a bit yeah and i think you know different projects require different levels of uh, political influence from us you know inside and outside the hospital you know certainly when we're building a brand new 425 million dollar greenfield site you know on 100 acres of farmland you know there's quite a bit of you know attention for that you know from for a project like that and and some of those conversations are had you know at a much higher level at a board level at a ceo level and um you know but being able to um you know really survive in that in that pool you know if you will is is important <laughs> in in handling yourself appropriately not hurting people's feelings you know what i mean um and you know kind of you know it, you know, doing the dance, if you will, um, is, is a really, is a really important thing. And I just think, you know, that that's a skill set that some people develop over time and some people, some people have it, it's, it's innate, you know, it's kind of an X factor, um, you know, gene, you know, if you will, for facilities or for a construction person, um, and just not being afraid to, you know, engage in those conversations, um, and then, and then showing the, the confidence and, uh, desire to move things forward and, and treating people with respect, I mean, is to me is just the probably the biggest thing, right? I mean, I, I like to treat people the way I want to be treated. So whether you're the, you know, the king of uh, king of Siam or, you know, you're the mayor of a, of a township that has, you know, 12,000 people, I mean, we all want to be treated, you know, correctly. So, you know, I just, I just try to, you know, play the audience the best way you know, that yeah. we can and treat, treat people. Um, and, and, and some of it's easy and some of it's not, right? If, if we have to go in for a signage variance, you know, on a, 5,000 square foot, you know, primary care in, in, in some local township. I mean, that's an, that's an easier, that's an easier ask, right. And in, uh, in an easier, um, you know, an easier thing, but, you know, and it requires help. You know I mean? Yeah. We have, we have, you know, government, government affairs people and we have outside, you know, we have outside councils and, and people that, you know, have relationships that we might need at those times, but, um, it's really relying on all the sum of all the parts of the people that, you know, are here in the organization to, to move those things along and, you know, yeah, not an easy answer either. So I, I did my best to, it's, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> that's why you're on. Um, Hey, you guys are, so you're in Southern Jersey. What market are you, are you more like the Philly market, the New York city? What, what, uh, what market are you in? So our market specifically is, um, is, is really, is really a Southern New Jersey, it's a Southern New Jersey market. So we're in, um, multiple counties, um, about 15 miles South of, uh, Philadelphia. So we're not, we're, we're very homegrown local, uh, healthcare, you know, mid-sized healthcare organization. So we're not in Delaware. We're not in Philadelphia. We're not national. We're just a, a regional, um, and I say that we're not. I mean, we're certainly sizable in the communities that right, we're in. Right, right. Um, and, 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 you know, the kind of the biggest player in, in, in you know, three of our counties. So, um, but, but, but mostly we're very, you know, very regionalized. So within the real estate market, not the healthcare market, but that real estate market, your market is your market, you're kind of in your own environment. And I mean that in, in a good way as opposed to having to, you know, um, you know, go up against some of those bigger, more difficult markets where firms and brokers, it's, I mean, everything gets much more multiplied. Yeah. And that's a good point. So, I mean, we certainly have done things and gotten ambitious a little bit outside our market and on the fringe of, you know, more competitive markets 
you know, at the further, obviously the further you get north in New Jersey, yeah. the more densely populated and the more, you know, healthcare organizations are, which, you know, so we've, we've done some things up that way. It's, uh, and it, and it's different from a real estate perspective, right? So South Jersey is very much, uh, rural and it's very much and very much, you know, driven by local farming and, um, it's so a pretty state. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it beautiful. really yeah, is. It certainly is. Yeah. So there's an abundance of property down here, right? And but there's but there's challenges that are unique to geographically to this area. You know, for example, you just can't go and you know build something on a piece of farmland without remediating and doing environmental <laughs> studies. And you know, a lot of the sites don't have water and sewer, right? So then you're looking at well, okay. I mean. We've had, you know, we've had places where we've had to build septic fields, which I would never imagine is possible. But, you know, <laughs> if you don't have water and sewer, then you're building a septic field. So, you know, and those are challenges that are probably, you know, unique to this area geographically because, you know, if you go 10 miles north of, you know, of us, it's very densely populated and there's water sewer everywhere, but it's much harder to find sites um, <laughs> for that because it's so densely packed, you know. Mm hmm. So it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, real estate is, is, is very unique to the, to your market that you're in and depending on where you're looking at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and that that's highlighted. Well, I mean, you just, you mentioned them right there for an FM or for a facilities management director, um, who has found themselves with real, real estate accountability, Brandon, what would you tell them about dealing with developers, business owners, commercial real estate teams, all of those people that you're dealing with? And I know you can't, I and mean, it's hard to narrow it down, but just in general, if suddenly they got real estate dumped on them, what would you tell yeah. them about dealing with these people who they haven't had to deal with in the past? Yeah. So I'll tell you the first thing I would do is I'd be looking for a good land use attorney, like step huh. one. Okay. Because if I don't know, if I don't know real estate that well, I, I'm not well equipped to make decisions with people that are experts in a field that I'm not. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, I, and I'm sure that this happens. Right. So, so I'm, I'm looking for a good real estate attorney that the land use attorney that I can trust um, and really rely on to be, uh, you know, my, you know, my person, I would put that person on retainer and I would make sure that they're very accessible uh, when I have questions. Um, I would say the second thing I would, I would say is that I would, I would be very cautious in trusting any really, trusting really any developers. Uh, I think that, you know, developers are inherently, you know, driven to make money mm -hmm. and not that that makes them bad people, but you know, they have very high margins and, you know, are, are, are very skilled in negotiating. Um, and, you know, so I would, I would walk, you know, I would walk cautiously in, in assessing deals and really spend the time to understand the transaction um, rather than jumping in feet first. I would say, you know, Five years ago, I would have told you otherwise because, you know, I, I, I was probably more in business executing and trying to get things done, you know, which is which is very, you know, which is a very common FM skill. Right. I, I got 100 things in front of me right. and I want, I want to knock down 99 and, you know, yeah, yeah. then worry about the next 100. You know, real estate transactions are a much slower, deliberate, you know, deliberately planned process, you know, first to get through a letter of intent and then, you know, try to get to an agreement of sale. Um and I would expect, you know, in dealing with developers and business owners and, you know, these, these brokers that, you know, your brokers are and your brokers are motivated to do one thing and that's to, that's to close a deal. Right. So you have to always understand, you know, that the lens they're looking through, you know, is to get you to the other side of getting the deal closed so they can, they can make their transaction, they make their money and that's how they make a living. Um, you know, whereas the developer is a little bit more, you know, slower and deliberate process because they have to, they have to, 
you know, deliver something for you potentially and, uh, and their money comes on, you know, kind of comes on the back end of the deal. So they're a little bit more slower and deliberate in how they approach and, you know, um, their, 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 their speed is, is different. So, you know, different people have different speeds to do different things, you know, at different phases of the transaction. And you could almost look at a real estate transaction as, you know, like building a project, right? So on the front end, you have to use these people for this duration of time and then these people leave and then, you know, then hmm. it's just you and the developer for a period of time. Yeah. So, you know, I just, it, it, to me, it's just important to understand the process and then, and then, um, and it's important to be able to trust people. You have to, you have to deal with people. You have to find people you trust. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, you know, I think having relationships, you know, is, is important, you know, and, and, and looking around the local market, if you have to go select developers, you know, putting out an RFP and sitting down and meeting people and having lunch is an important, is an important act. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I want to know if this guy's not going to burn me, you know, <laughs> right. for this guy. I mean, it does and it's, and it happens. <clears throat> yeah. So you, I imagine you're working with multiple brokers and developers. Yeah. I, I would say generally, um, you know, on, on a transactional basis, um, you know, my broker, you know, that, that we have is, is frontline in, in, in between me and, three, three to five, uh, developers and, and, um, and, you know, too, you know, you know, a lot of times your developers and your, and your landlords are your physicians, right. In, in healthcare, it's very common for yeah in physician practice acquisitions that, um, you know, you're dealing with, with, with those, with those individuals as well. So, um, I just failed to mention that earlier, but you know, it's very common for physician groups and, um, in healthcare to have, you know, real estate and have to go through that. And that's a whole nother type of transaction, right? Because then you have to really be, be mindful and be fair and, you know, be mindful of Stark laws and make sure that, you know, you got an arms like arms like trans transaction and um, that everything's above board because, you know, there's legal aspects to those things as well. Yes. Yeah. How does the, when you're dealing with a, um, you know, with, with a doc group, a physician group, how does the nature of what you do on a daily, like putting on your other hats, right? Your, your facilities hat and you're interacting with everybody across the organization, but does your relationship transform or does the way you work with them transform from when you're working with them as a doctor in the OR, as opposed to, okay, now you're a physician group coming into one of our buildings or building a building? I mean, I, I like to think not, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I try to, I try to carry myself the same way. Whether, you know, if I'm, if I'm being a facilities guy and making sure that, you know, they've got the right air changes in, in, in an OR versus, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a tenant inside their building, um, I, I try to do everything the same way and be predictable because, you know, it, it's just easier that way, right? If you run one speed and you're fair and you're, you know, reasonable and rational in how you approach things then that's predictable. And, and yeah. if people expect you to be a certain way all the time, then, then, you know, that's, that's just easier. That just makes the game easier. I think that, you know, people that, um, you know, wear different hats, different ways is, you know, that, that could, that could get you in trouble. I just, I, I feel like, and, and so I try to, I, I just try to, you know, beat the drum, you know, the same way every day and approach things from a, from a fair and reasonable mindset. <laughs> you know, on my side and on theirs. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of times phys physicians, they're not really good 
you know, not really good in business all the time. And they're not really good at, at, at managing real estate assets. And, and so that can be problematic. So, you know, sometimes I try to, you know, be a coach and, you know, say, right. Hey, look, right. This is your, this is your building. This is the situation you're in. And I would, I would do these three things. And, and I think they appreciate that. Right. I mean, because oh, yeah. they know that they're, yeah. they know that they're not an expert in, you know, in, in, in those things and that you are right. So if, so if you, you offer them advice and, you know, um, try to be a team player and be collaborative. I mean, it just goes a long way in any setting. Yeah. You mentioned, and I thought that was a great answer relative to, you know, what are some things to keep in mind? Get yourself a land use attorney, be cautious, trusting developers, continually assessing the deal. Um, is there, you know, from your experience or from what you know, again, for that FM, that facility management professional who suddenly has real estate accountability, is there another issue or two that they could get in trouble with very quickly if they aren't careful, something they might not be expecting that kind of comes out and bites you. Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I, there's, there's many pitfalls, um, in, there's many pitfalls in, in, in doing developer deals, I would say specifically. And I would say, I would say that, you know, there's, there are unscrupulous people in the world. Um, <laughs> that's a good, <laughs> I like the way you phrase and, that. That's and, good. you know, making sure you have your, 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 you have your scruples about you that, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I've had people come to me and offer me, you know, sure. piles of, piles of cash in a, in a bag, but I mean, those things could happen in places. I mean, mm -hmm. when you get into high value deals and you, you know, you get into, you know, situations where you're dealing with, you know, people in a business that's not like yours, that you have to be cautious in how you step forward. You have to really rely on your attorneys in the beginning because, you know, if you're not an expert in something, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know what you don't know, right? And you right. can walk, you could need, needlessly walk into a situation that, you know, you didn't understand the language in the contract correctly. Um, not knowing what market rate is for, you know, for a transaction. I mean, if I'm going to go and recommend to my CEO, okay, let's go and sign this, you know, real estate transaction is, $20 a square foot in South Jersey and you know, the whole rest of the world's only paying $15 a square foot in that market. Then I would probably, I would ask a lot of questions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that might be a rich deal and you might not be getting, you know, and you're, and hopefully your broker's telling you that and your attorney's telling you that. I mean, that's, you know, that's why you have them, but you know, relying on them as experts is, is, is really, is, is just really important because, um, the developers are not going to tell you where they're making their money or how they're making their money. Right. I mean, it's their, <laughs> it's their business to, it's their business to, you know, yeah. have a cap rate that, um, you know, is, is something that is suitable for them to make money on. And, um, and it's just, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, and, and just being cautious, you know what I mean? Uh, I think it's, it's so important to, uh, rely on the experts that you have. Yeah. Do you think, and it's just from an opinion perspective, and you mentioned, you know, some organizations, large organizations have vice presidents of real estate, but as you look at the totality of the role, and again, just your opinion, you know, with FM, with facility management accountability, design and construction accountability, real estate accountability, going forward, do, do you believe that real estate should be carved out, could be carved out? What's workload like, you know, and, and does it eventually become too overwhelming if you just even throw the legalese on top of it in the finance does it become too overwhelming for a person to to manage to get their arms around well i think I, I think certainly real estate could always be carved out depending on the size of the organization and as you get larger you know as you as you become larger as an organization and we're about a billion dollar organization you know what i mean i, I 
I honestly believe once you start getting above that billion dollar threshold, um, and as you're, you're growing your outpatient footprint, which every hospital in the United States is doing, every hospital network is doing it. They're exploding into the outpatient market. It's just, it's, it's just what's, what's been happening for you know 10 years. It'll be the next 10 years. Um, yeah, I mean, I do think it should be carved out because it does take a lot of time. Um, but I think it can be done if you have a good team of internal mm-hmm. SMEs that work, that work well together. Um, mm-hmm. which fortunately we do. I mean, we have, you know, a tightly knit business development and, and, uh, legal and, and facilities and myself, you know, and our broker. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a point in diminishing return on how much time you can spend to read contracts and to yeah. pick deals apart. You yeah. know what I mean, yeah. But, and, and, you know, honestly, and that's why you have to rely on your land use turners even more, right? Because you gotta, if, if you got a transaction, you know, in a, in, a, in a contract, you really want to know what the pitfalls are and where. And so you really rely more on, you know, you rely more on those people, the more of it you have to do, mm-hmm. especially if it's not the only job you have. I mean, that's just all I right. can say. Yeah. And just for a reminder today or on this uh, high reliability, I'm talking to Brandon Bardowski. Brandon's VP of Facilities Design and Construction at Inspira Health in Southern New Jersey, Vineland, New Jersey. Good discussion about real estate. Um, Brendan, you just talked about expanding the outpatient footprint and organizations are moving in that direction. From an outpatient perspective, wearing your facilities management hat, how are you how how are you servicing those? I imagine you have a mixture of deals. Are your internal folks accountable for the facilities management? Is it outsourced? Do you have a mix? What what's your approach and and how are you managing that component of your portfolio? And so that's a great question. And I wish I could say, oh, we're standardized across the board. We do it one way, one yeah. way, but we don't. Right. But we don't. Is anybody? And I don't, and I don't <laughs> honestly believe that anyone does. What's yeah. that? I, that's what I just said. Is that, I don't yeah. think anybody is. Yeah. I think they try, but deals are born, you know, real estate transactions are born in so many different ways that, you know, we don't own all the buildings we're in. Right. So if you don't own them, then you're, then you're, you're leasing. And if you're leasing, then what are you taking care of? You know what I mean? And in most cases we're taking care of, you know, the interior, interior, uh, you know, fit out components of, of the, of the space. Um, and, and so from a facility standpoint, I mean, you know, we talked about control earlier. I mean, I like to have control of the things that I'm, that I'm in because from a customer service standpoint, if I control those elements, then, um, I can, I can manage customer service in a better way. Right. And at the end of the day, the people that are in those buildings, they only see me. They don't really, they don't really care who owns it or who, how the lease is <laughs> yeah. constructed. They just don't, they just don't, they want their right. stuff fixed. They want their walls painted. They want their AC working when it's 95 degrees outside and, you know, the condensing unit fails. So it's, you know, it's not all one way. Um, and I wish that it was, but I mean, you know, really, you know, it's just a function of having good offsite mechanics and having a good offsite program because honestly, you know, the, and I wouldn't say it's the dirty secret of FM, but you know, when things fail, if the landlords don't fix them we have to, right. And that's just the way it is. And, and people <laughs> right. don't understand that. And sometimes we spend money on things that we shouldn't, um, you know, roof repairs. You got some deadbeat landlord that's, that's not taking care of their shopping center and it's just collecting rent and you can't get them to do something and we have to do it for them. Right. And then, and you just don't have time to chase down those types of issues, right? If I have to spend, you know, two thousand dollars to, you know, cold patch a roof and chase the chase the deadbeat landlord down with one of my, you know, in-house counsels for months, I mean, you know, I, I just I won't do it because I don't have the time, you know. Yeah. Um. So it's you know it's a mixture of all of the things, 
Um, but, but ideally I, I prefer to own the assets and then, you know, and then, and then design and build them ourselves and then take care of them because it's just easier. It's just easier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you're right. I mean, you're getting a tenant call you who has a leaky roof or snow's not plowed. I mean, you want it done. You, they're not, they don't care who owns it. Like you said, it just has to happen. <laughs> and that's, yeah, they're complaining. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I was going to say, and that's probably in your nature, right? I mean, you didn't get into this line of work because you're passive and you sit back and you allow things, you know, you, I mean, you're, you're, you're active, you know, you fix things, you get it done. Well, you have to, and I'll give you a good example. And that was just, you made me laugh when you said leaky roof, but you know, that leaky roof turns into an indoor air quality complaint, right? And then yeah. somebody goes and yep. contacts risk management, risk management's like, oh, we got an IQ, we got to get a, we got to get somebody out there to do, you know, mold spore sampling. And then it's like, well, we just better get it fixed. <laughs> Because right. at that point, you don't have a choice, right? You're just managing yep. liability. You're just managing risk. It, is there, um, you know, in your experience, and you've just, you know, you've just answered that everyone is unique. They're all unique. But is there a most difficult lease arrangement to handle? Like, is there one that you see like, ah, oh, this one's a problem? Or is it, are they all just equally, you know, complex or, or different? Um. You know, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's an interesting question. Um, I've never really thought about, uh, I haven't thought about a whole lot, but I, I would say, you know, all leases are, are constructed a little bit differently, but um, I would say the more difficult leases to, to work, to really manage are, are ones where, you know, we put the burden of, you know, making repairs and doing things back on the, on the landlord. Huh. And then they don't, and then they don't, they don't execute. Cause I would say that that probably happens more than more often than not. Or, you know, I, I really, I would even say like an ASC, an inventory surgery mm -hmm. center arrangement is, um, is usually pretty complex. I would say there's probably the most complex because, you know, those are joint venture partnerships between, you know, any, any type of deal where you have a joint venture arrangement between a hospital and, you know, physician group and they're the operators and you're not, um, and they don't do a good job of managing something from a regulatory standpoint, the lease kind of goes out the window and you end up doing things for them. And over time, you know, I've just seen us, you know, scope creep in terms of managing facilities. <laughs> you, you go from these physician you know, groups, not doing a good job managing and operating. And then next thing you know, we're, we're, we're testing the generators and we're taking care of the med gas bottle, you know, ballrooms because they're not doing it. You're testing booms and, and doing PMs on things that they're not doing because, you know, you're, you're going to get cited by, Joint Commission or DNB. Right. I mean, you know what I mean. So, so I would say in the more complex um, contractual arrangements of ownership is where I would say the lease agreements get get muddy because they're just not fully contemplated to deal with uh, the FM challenges that come with um, inaction on a on on a landlord or or a, you know managing partners' yeah. behalf. Yeah, and you know that might be counterintuitive too because you're thinking, okay. Uh, the the landlord's responsible for everything. My hands are clean, but in reality, it sounds like it's coming back to you. So those might be the most difficult to manage because you can't control that landlord. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And for whatever five reasons that I just mentioned, you know, yeah. where you have to jump in as FM and you know and pitch in, you know, the expectation is we're just going to do it because you know if something's failing, I mean, we're always you know you're always the last line of defense, right? It's like okay, well. <laughs> They didn't figure this out and, you know, CEO doesn't want to deal with complaining physicians or, you know, or, you know, you know, the CEO doesn't want to, want to, want to hear about 
I, you know, I indoor air quality complaints and mold in, in some building. Right. You know what I mean? So sometimes you just got to get it done, I yeah. guess is what I'm saying. How closely are you tied into your CFO, your finance people? Uh, how? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, but how, I, I'd imagine pretty closely, but talk a little bit about that. We haven't ventured down that road. We've talked about lawyers and consultants and COOs. Yeah. What about those folks? Yeah. I mean, the accounting people are the most important ones in the organization. I mean, they, they control the purse strings. So yeah. consider I'm the guy that's spending most of their money. They get to know me pretty well. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. My, 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 uh, previous CEO, um, to my current CEO was, he was an old CFO and, and he'd, he'd always, you know, he was, a, he was an old uh, Italian guy and he, he used to, you know, you know, how, how are you spending my money today? What, what are we spending money on? <laughs> Because I mean, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. You're burning their right. cash. I mean, on, on capital projects, especially when you're in a major growth mode like we've been. You know, it's it's, you know, you spend a lot of money, and you know, so, so yeah, the relationship has to be has to be strong. And you know, one of the things that you know is important, I think, um, real estate construction aside, um, you know, real estate aside or construction aside, is just having good project controls. So mm -hmm. you know, we have you know we have a, a obviously a contract with a, a major. Um, player in the market to, to manage our, um, project finances. You know, there's, there's companies out there like, uh, Kahua or Procore, or, you know, there's, there's you know, handfuls of them that, um, but, you know, making sure we have, um, really tightly, tightly controlled, um, finances and then reconciling things and then having a, a good relationship with, uh, you know, our accounting folks to help them set up depreciation tables and, um, you know, periodically, you know, look at, look at finances because, you know, you're using bond funds in some cases and in other cases, um, you know, it's, it, they're, they're cash deals, but you know, there's, there's, there, you know, there's a lot of complexities to try and manage money in healthcare as well. I mean, there's different funding sources, there's different rules, you know, when you're financing. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, it's a very important relationship to manage because if you don't have trust there, um, it can be very hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well said. You know, it's interesting. I, you and I have talked over the years and you always talk confident. You know, you're, you're a confident person. You, you speak with knowledge. You speak well. I was interested to hear, you know, when you were saying when you began in the role, you know, for what, five and a half years ago, 2016, that you, like on the finance side was what, you know, part of your learning curve. Now you speak very confidently about it. And, you know, it, it seems like that transformation, um, happened and happened well how do you feel much more confident now you just seem very comfortable hitting on all these areas how, how long did that take so i mean honestly it took you know it took a good three years of really studying wow real estate transactions and executing on them and doing it again mm -hmm. um and having to deliberately pick apart deals in order to be able to explain them to you know a board or to my CEO or to, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 our in-house, you know, um, council and working with them. And, and quite honestly, I mean, you know, you get there by working with people that know this, know that, that have a better knowledge of the subject than you do. Um, and I leaned heavily on, you know, my general counsel, uh, my broker and would say, Hey, you know, uh, I would ask my broker, Hey, can you tell me how this $22 a square foot, you know, in this deal works, right? Can you show me, you know, how the, how the dollar, you know, per square foot works and how it translates back into um, what we're paying for construction and what we're paying for financing. And so, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time and effort studying the transactions um, and, and I really, you know, 
put myself in a position to be successful by learning it. And, and you have to, I mean, you know, yeah. even if you go to school, I mean, I got, and, and I went and got my MBA. I mean, that was, you know, you know, it's, it's not, it's not common knowledge to read balance sheets and income statements and things that, you know, are associated with, um, uh, any type of business. So, I mean, that's, that's a skill that, um, if you're an accountant that you're born with, right. right. Um, but if you're not, then it's something that has to be, has to be, you know, kind of nurtured over time. Um, so, but really relying on the people that I have around me that are subject matter in those areas and then, and then piecing together, uh, my own, uh, just my own opinions based on, you know, yeah, but definitely takes time. Yep. There's no yep. Doubt. And I think you may have just answered kind of the, my, you know, my final question, but for, for somebody who wants to learn more about healthcare real estate, let's say they're, you know, coming from that facility management background, even the design and construction, are there resources you would suggest? You've just laid out how you went about it, but are there other areas or are there other resources that are helpful in, you know, that closing that knowledge gap? I mean, I, I certainly think that, you know, um, higher education is important. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's plenty of programs out there that offer, you know, um, uh, MBAs and, and offer, you know, healthcare and real estate, uh, not healthcare, but real estate, um, you know, uh, master's degrees. I mean, I, I think those programs are, are great. Um, and I know people that have gone that road and go that road. I think trial by fire is certainly not a bad way as well. Um, <laughs> not that I would recommend it all the time. Um, <laughs> right. But I mean, in becoming part of, you know, real estate, um, you know, there's associations out there like BOMA, I think, I think it was, it was a pretty large one. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then going to those conferences and surrounding yourself with those people and um, making a network of, you know, I, I believe in networking. I think networking is really important. Um, and in becoming, you know, you know, just becoming uh, friends with people that do the things that, you know, you want to learn about. So, I mean, I try to deliberately spend time in the healthcare market, uh, in the healthcare real estate market. And I've gone to conferences and done those things and, and, you know, and you learn and, and, and you, and you get to meet more people that do those things. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think like anything, you have to study it and be deliberate about your growth and then, uh, try different, you know, go through different avenues to get there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, not one, not one route as usual, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So Brandon Bardowski, Vice President, Facilities Design Construction at Inspira, right? Did I get that right? Inspira Health? Inspira, it's okay. Inspira. <laughs> Inspira Health. I failed again. <laughs> I better go back to school. Inspira Health, but no, I'm not going back to school. But I thank Brandon for appearing on High Reliability Uh Brendan, thanks. This this real estate topic was interesting and probably one we could t continue at a future date. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the questions. And like I said, I always I always like to stay active in, in uh, meeting people. And, and Peter, you know, certainly your high, reli high reliability series is, is very interesting. And, uh, you know, it sounds it's very exciting, the, the work that you're doing uh, in the FM community and trying to put out uh, podcasts and, and continue to ed. And I think that's that's great. And I'm, I'm happy to uh, have spent time with you today. So thank you. Thank you, Brendan. I appreciate that. I am Peter Martin from Goslin Martin Associates. Thanks for listening to High Reliability, and we will be back with a future episode. Have a great day.